love for you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're going to be reading for verse 1 to 10 today, and we're moving into a new series in this year-long grand series of Build Your House. So we were, last six weeks, we were in the uh, topic of presence, and now we're moving on to the, to the topic of position. So we're going to begin just by reading in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. It will also be up there on your screen. He, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be in the guest of he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's a game that we play when you're ever you're in a, a formal social setting, say an office party or a retreat, a place where you don't really know everyone and, and you kind of want to break the ice. And it's a game called this or that. I'm sure you've all played it before in some form or another. The game is simple. You're presented with a choice, and you have to respond by identifying with your preference. For example, we'll play it this morning. When you woke up this morning, did you drink coffee or tea? If you're a coffee drinker, put your hand up. That's what I expected. Tea drinkers in the house? Okay. If you were sitting in front of the TV with a bowl of Tostito chips, are you reaching for the cheese sauce or the salsa? Cheese sauce, salsa. Oh, that's surprising. That is, I thought there was going to be more cheese lovers in the house. It's Friday night, and you sit down again to watch a movie. Are you watching a chick flick or an action thriller? Chick flick, action thriller. (laughs) You move to a new house. Would you rather have, and some of you, this could be more true than others, Would you rather have a loud or a nosy neighbor? Loud neighbor, anyone? Nosy neighbor. (laughs) That's about 50-50. All right, last one. Does the toilet paper go over or under? Over? Anyone over? Under. Over? Under. You got to admit, games like this, are, they're fun. They're fun. And I think what we find so enjoyable about these games is we get to learn where we stand in relation to one another. I think, maybe, I dare even say, that there's something psychological about this game because I think it touches in on something very deeply instinctual. May, dare I even say tribal. We want to know who around me is like me and who around me is not like me. And now when the stakes are low and there's nothing really, you know, when we're talking about Tostito chips, nobody really cares whether you like this 
or you like that. But what happens when the game of this or that is no longer about small, matters of small importance, but now we're talking about matters of large importance, like who, did you, who should you vote for, this person or that person? You know, like this has been the story of the last eight, two years, hasn't it? Are you pro-mandate or are you pro-choice? To make the world a better place, do we need more of this or do we need less of that? And then you realize that we don't just play this game, this or that, you know, at office staff parties. We're really playing this game at all times. And while we once held this very classical view of tolerance, that when it came to this or that, we respected one another. We had room for each other's differences. Now what's changed in our culture and in this moment that we're living in right now is that whatever your position is on this or that suddenly has become the single most defining factor for whether or not I can be in relationship with you. This or that. Not only does your position or your stance determine now relationship, but now as well it is determining your morality, meaning are you a good person or a bad person depending on how you see this or whether you believe that. And I don't know about you, but I just yearn for a better way, don't you? There has to be a better way than just being either this way or that way. And, and really where this, this series comes into focus is that I believe today with all of my heart that with God, there is a better way that he offers us than the way that the world offers us. That more than being coming entrenched in our positions so that we become more and more divided, God shows us a better way. And when it comes to determining who is my brother and who is my sister, that better way, that more excellent way is, of course, the way of love that Jesus has called us to. And thankfully, it's why I believe that in this moment, with all of its division and strife, that I believe the church is positioned better than ever before to lead the, lead the world forward and towards its better way. For God so loved the world is what we believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, as Christians, what distinguishes us from every other position of faith, what sets us apart from the world, is not that our faith is determined by what we believe in, but instead is determined by who we believe in. Meaning, we don't believe in an idea, but we believe in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so when you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, your position is not so much whether or not you are on the right or wrong side of an issue, but the question is, are you standing in right relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son? And here's what I believe to be true today. When we define our position by whether one is right or one is wrong, all it's going to do is lead to more division and strife. But Christ came to show us that he doesn't see position based on whether you are right or wrong. He sees position based on a whole different category, and that is, are you lost or are you found? It's not that right or wrong thinking doesn't matter to God, of course. The book of Philippians tells us that we are to think on whatever is true 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is right, whatever is worthy. You know, think upon these things. It's just that this is of secondary importance to the primary concern that Jesus has for his people. It's not, are you right or are you wrong, but are you lost or are you found? So what the church is then is a group of people who, yeah, we hold different positions on this or that. But those positions don't determine our relationship with one another because they never determine our relationship with God in the first place. The only position that determines relationship is not are you right or are you wrong, but are you lost or are you found? And to those of us who are found by Christ, to the found, we are called to love one another as Christ first loved us. And to the lost, we are called to go and invite others. The found are called to go and find the lost so that they too may know his love and be found by him. As Jesus said this morning in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man speaking of himself. This is one of the reasons he came. He identified so many reasons, and here is one of them. The Son of Man came to seek and save not the righteous, but the lost. The lost. And so when you read the Gospels, this positional struggle of right and wrong, lost and found, really is sort of the, 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 the key battleground in the ongoing conflict between Jesus and the many Pharisees and scribes. It seemed like they were always going back and forth with one another over this issue. Now here's the thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't all bad people. I know growing up in Sunday school, we're taught, you know, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Remember that song? Because they're not fair, you see. I grew up with this idea that Pharisees were just bad people. You know, you don't want to be a Pharisee. But really, the Pharisees did a lot of things right. You know, we kind of give them a bad rap in Christian culture. And some of it's obviously earned. But they did many things right. But one of the reasons why they come up on the wrong side of Jesus so often is that they were blind to what mattered most to God. That meaning that they were so categorically right on so many issues, but were so categorically lost when it came to the one thing that mattered most to God, to Jesus. That was being in right relationship with the Father. And if there's one thing that Jesus said of the Pharisees that sort of captures the sentiment of the Phar- towards the Pharisees, it's Matthew 15, 8, that said, when Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Pharisees were doctrinally sound on every theological position, but their self-righteousness was choking out every bit of love within them. And you see this with Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus that we read this morning in Luke chapter 19. It says that he was the chief tax collector, and I love, I love sometimes how the Bible just makes things so plain and apparent, and he was rich, okay? He was rich. This tax collector... You know, the bone of contention they had with tax collectors was that they were supposed to be one of them, right? Like, you're one of us. You're a Jew. You're supposed to, you know, side with us. You're supposed to suffer alongside with us. But instead, these tax collectors like Zacchaeus were given special status in the Roman Empire that they, on behalf of the empire, could go and collect taxes for Caesar. But not only were they able to collect taxes for Caesar, they were able to sort of collect their own tax and therefore build their own financial portfolio through even doing even more suffering upon the people. You could see why guys like Zacchaeus were despised in Jewish society. They were the, the worst sort of sinners imaginable in the eyes of, of others in that day. And so when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, do you want to come on down? I'd really like to come to your house today for a visit. 
You can see why this infuriates the Pharisees so very much. Luke 19, 7 says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be, in the, get, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. We see this again in Luke chapter 15, the famous chapter in Luke where Jesus tells three parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. That the, the Luke chapter 15 is all about God's heart for the lost. And at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, 1, we see why Jesus tells these three parables. It says, for now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners. You know, this word receive is such an important word for us to focus in on because it, it really it means so much more than what the word receive means for us in our language. You know, when we talk about receiving something, you know, it doesn't have that same emotional punch, does it? It's sort of like, you know, I received a promotion or I received a package from Amazon. You know, even when we receive, there's some aspect of our own merit involved, like I worked for this promotion or I purchased this package, so that when I receive, there's some part of my doing involved, right, with the receiving. But to be received in, the, in this biblical language was meant to be welcomed, it meant to be accepted. It gives this idea, this image of someone who's waiting in anticipation for this guest or this friend to arrive. And when this friend arrives, there's this sort of, you know, full welcoming and acceptance and anticipation for the arrival of this guest or this friends. And this is who Jesus is, a man who receives sinners. Sinners, not the best of the best. He doesn't want to go to the house of celebrities or experts, or people who have their life all together. No, he receives sinners. And so to say that Jesus receives sinners is to say that sinners are welcomed by God. Can I get an amen to that this morning? To say that he receives sinners is to say that he waits for sinners to recognize how lost they are without him and to come to the table knowing that they are received by him, not in spite of what they have to offer, not what they can do for him, but what he has done for the, us, what he has offered us. That is forgiveness of every sin ever committed. Every time you and I, we participated and sided with the forces of evil. Every time we said no and resisted his rule and reign in our life. Every time he has forgiven us. And because he has forgiven us, we are fully accepted by him, by grace. Jesus receives you. Jesus receives me. Why? Because we are all sinners. If only the Pharisees knew that being right didn't make them found. If only they knew that they were just as lost as Zacchaeus and every other sinner who ever lived. Because being right doesn't make you right in God's eyes. Because what makes you right in God's eyes is knowing that apart from Jesus, apart from him, you and I, we are so, so lost. But that through Jesus, we are so, so found. Do you believe today that Jesus receives sinners? Do you believe today that you and I, no matter how many degrees you and I, we have hanging on our wall, no matter how high we climb the corporate ladder, no matter how much our net worth is and money we have in the bank, we are sinners. 
that we are all lost apart from the grace and forgiveness of God. Romans says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. The key word there is all. All have sinned. In fact, later on in the same chapter in Romans, it says that there are none who are righteous. Not one, it says. That we, not one person understands and not one person seeks God. But there is a God who seeks us who saves us, who receives us, whether you are the chief of sinners in this room, whether there's nobody in this room who has sinned more than you, or you are the person who has just got it all together. We are all sinners. Jesus receives you today. And that you and I to be received means that we have been unconditionally forgiven of our sin. We have been welcomed to the table. We have been accepted by God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. This is the gospel in its most simplest presentation. That Christ has received you. No, no matter what I've done and no matter what I'm capable of doing. Because that is what he came to do. To seek and save the lost to lay down his life so that I may live. And while Christ may receive you today, and I hope you truly believe that he receives you, that a sinner is not someone that exists over there, that a someone, sinner exists someone in here, that he receives you today, there is something that we must do if we want to be truly found by him. You see, there are many who have been received by Jesus, right? There have been many who have been received by him, who have been fully accepted and welcomed to the table by his grace. Yet there are, the, the, though they are found by him, there are some who have chosen to remain lost. That while there is nothing we can ever do to be accepted by Christ, there is something, however, that we must do in order for us to move from lost to found. And that is, while there is nothing we can do to ever be accepted by Christ, there is something that we can do. That is, we must accept the one who has accepted us. We must receive the one who has already received us. This is how lost people become found people. By Christ receiving you, and in return, we receive him. But how, you might ask, how then do we receive Christ, if there's nothing we can do to earn it, if there's nothing that we are capable of doing for, to make Christ receive us, how do we receive him in return? And the answer is that just as Christ has received you in grace, so we must receive him in repentance. Repentance is not something we can do to earn the favor of God. Repentance is something we do in response to the favor of God that we have received in his grace. I love the word repentance. Now, I mean, I don't love repenting. It's not very fun in the moment to repent. But I love what the word repentance means. It's such a beautiful word. It means to, it involves a change that takes place both inwardly and outwardly. Not just in your mind. Not just something that happens up here, but it's something that maybe begins here, but it begins to move into here, and it moves into your heart, and then it takes over your will and your affection and everything. You know, repentance is the fruit of your faith. It is the fruit of your faith. Meaning that by putting your faith in the truth that you have been found by your Father in heaven, that, that is the fruit that, that says, I must respond by welcoming him with the only thing that I really have to offer. And that is my whole heart, my whole life, my everything. 
But here's what I want to stress today for everybody in the room, including myself. Repentance is not what we do in order to be found by God. No, repentance is what we do because we are found by God. We don't repent in order for God to receive us. We repent because God receives us. You know, there's a temptation, I think, in every heart that we to receive Jesus with a heart of repentance. That you come to, to come to him when he comes to you and you throw yourself down at the mercy seat and you repent of your sin and you desire to have this inward change and this outward change, but something takes place over time. And I think it happens to every person's heart that your heart of repentance, of seeing yourself as being lost or found, slowly over time drifts and becomes replaced by a heart of self righteousness. That is, we no longer see ourselves as being lost and found, but we shift into the mindset of whether we are right or we are wrong. Because repentance is not something we do in order to be found, but because we are found, repentance has to be something that is just the overflow of our salvation. That it's not just something we do when we are saved. It's something we do because we are saved. We live with a heart of repentance. Repentance is always upon our, our hearts and our minds and our wills and our affections. We live with a heart of repentance. And so today, you know, as before we close, I want to share to you three ways that we are called to have a heart of repentance. First, to have a heart of repentance, we must live with a deep, profound awareness of just how lost we are without Jesus. We have to live with a deep, profound awareness. In Luke chapter 15, in that, in that famous chapter with the three parables, Jesus tells the first parable in verse 3. It says, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, we, we know this story well. The shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. We sing about it. We've read about it. We know it well. And Jesus seems to relate this lost sheep with somebody who sees himself as a sinner. You know, it's a sinner in need of repentance. The, Jesus goes after the lost sheep, but, the, but how the sheep is brought home, <clears throat> Jesus relates, is a sinner in need of repentance. What is troubling Jesus in this parable, however, is the, not the one sinner who has repented, but it's the 99 righteous people who think they have no need of repentance. Lost people are not a problem for Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus is not that concerned with lost people because lost people can be found people. What concerns Jesus' heart most is he cannot find those who are lost but don't think that they are lost, who don't know that they are lost. And my prayer for you today, and my prayer for me as well, is that no matter how long you've believed, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've accomplished, we will never, ever, ever come to see ourselves as one of those 99 sheep with no need of repentance. That we will never, never, ever stop living even though we've been saved, even though we've been, we are becoming sanctified and, and we are slowly on this journey towards perfection, we will never forget on the journey just how lost we are without Christ. 
That should never leave us, that awareness. How do we live with a deep, profound awareness of our lostness apart from Christ? I think we continually seek to acknowledge the ways that we are participating and identifying with sin. And not just participating in an abstract sense. Sometimes I think as, as Christians, we can sort of confess in this abstract sense that, yeah, we confess of sin, but that we're really talking about my sin. Or, or we, look, we look at the sin, but we don't look at this sin. You know, we need to concretely and particularly acknowledge the ways we have participated in the destructive behavior and we've resisted God's rules in our life. You know, Danny Weaver, he's a, uh, a theological scholar. He says, I love how he says this. I think this is a great way of recognizing our, our need of repentance. He says, in particular, we need to acknowledge our enslavement to the powers that killed Jesus, to confess our place on the side of those who oppose the reign of God. We are identified with the Roman imperial leaders who had ultimate authority for his death, with Jewish leaders who cooperated to condemn Jesus, with the rabble who acquiesced to his condemnation, with the disciples who slept rather than praying with him as he struggled in the garden, with Judas who betrayed him, and with Peter who denied him. You know, if you've never done this before today, if you are one of those in the room today who has never repented, who has never acknowledged your lostness, and you sense today, you're coming to this awareness, you know, like Nathan shared in the video, that he's relied upon himself, and he's coming to this awareness that that's not going to work for him any longer. If that's you today, if you are like Nathan, you know, <clears throat> what I want you to know is that those, those that stand around you aren't people who have figured this out. You know, just because you're coming into an awareness of your lostness doesn't mean that we suddenly, because we are found, no, no longer need to be aware of our lostness. No, we're all sinners. What makes us different from every other sinner in the world as, as Christians is that we live to continuously repent of our sins. We're like David in Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So we live with a deep awareness of our, of our lostness apart from Christ. But secondly, to repent, to live with a heart of repentance, is not just to live in constant grief, but it's to live with constant joy. How many of you know that there is another side of repentance? And it is the side of joy. And sometimes I think we associate too much repentance with deep, deep sorrow. I feel bad. I feel sorrowful. And, and I think that there is a sense that we absolutely should feel sorrow for our sin. But there is a place that that sorrow shifts to shame and condemnation and guilt. And suddenly, we're no longer just feeling sorrowful for our sin. We're in this place of, of, of living with constant grief because of our sin. And I think we need to recognize that on the other side of, of sorrow, of living with an awareness of our losses, is to live an awareness of the joy that comes with our salvation. How many of you know that Christians who are saved, people who are found, should be joy-filled joy people? Like Psalm 30:11, We have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, and you've clothed me with gladness. And so because you and I were found in the grace of God, we need to repent of any form of discontentment that is in our lives. Discontentment, bitterness, jealousy, anger, the things of this world that we get caught up in, we need to repent and ask God to exchange a spirit of grief in me for his spirit of joy. 
You know, if there's one thing that is consistent in all three of Jesus' parables in Luke 15, it's the theme of joy. Over and over again, Jesus says, rejoice, or the, 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 the person who is found says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Because repentance should bring joy in the heart of the one who is found. Why? Because it brings joy to the heart of the one who finds you. Look at the verses up there on the screen. Luke 15, 6. Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost, and now he is found. How is your joy today? Do you have joy? Is there joy in this season? You know, living with a heart of repentance is living with a heart of joy. It is that we are aware of our sin, we are aware of our lostness, but we are not going to be defined by our lostness. We are going to be defined by our, our foundness. God wants you to live in his joy. And I'm just encouraging you today, because I know how heavy the season has been. If you are struggling to find joy in the season, you can pray along with the prayer of David. You know, restore to me the joy of, of, of my salvation. That was his prayer after he had confessed his sin that he had committed against Bathsheba. You know, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, we can repent if we are struggling to find joy. We can repent and ask God to restore the joy of his salvation. Of one who is found by him. They should be filled with great joy. Third and finally, and I'll invite the band to join me back up on stage. To live with a heart of repentance is a living a life of doing the Father's will. This is the final way, I think, that we are called to live with a heart of repentance. You see, as Zacchaeus was received by Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 6, that Zacchaeus hurried down from the tree and he received Jesus with joy. Remember, to receive, to be found, we have to receive the one who receives us. It says Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. But notice that Zacchaeus, if you recall the story, is not just content with, with being joyful. He's not just saying, this is awesome. We're going to go eat with Jesus. We're going to have a nice meal together. It's going to be a good time. We're going to fellowship. No, no, no. Zacchaeus then says this to Jesus. Jesus offers him to come to his house. He wants to receive Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus receives him in return. And this is Zacchaeus' response. To offer Jesus that he will give back half of his wealth to the poor. And that he will, you know, give back to everyone he has robbed. He will repay their debt fourfold. Notice that Jesus never once says, you have to do this to be found. Jesus doesn't require it of him. Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask it of him. Jesus doesn't even suggest it. You're like, hey, you know, Zacchaeus, like if you want to, you know, you should do this. No, he, Zacchaeus just does it. He just does it. And here's what Jesus says. What does Jesus say of Zacchaeus? He says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Today salvation has come to your house. You know, true repentance involves recognizing that though God's grace is a free gift that we receive, it is not a cheap gift. It is not a cheap gift by any means. You see, just as it cost Jesus, what did it cost Jesus to seek and save the lost? What did it cost him? His very life. 
He gave it all to receive you and I. And so what can we really offer him in return? What, can, what really cost is there that comes with receiving God's gift of grace? Jesus articulates this cost in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawless, lawlessness. Who is the one who enters into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't want you and I to be found. Found is a good category, but he doesn't want to leave you at found. He actually wants you to become known. What this passage, this verse tells me is that there are many who are found by Jesus. Think of somebody lost at sea who is rescued. It's not just good enough to say you've been rescued. No, it's to be rescued then is to be brought back home. Jesus says, the one who is known by me, the one I know is the one who does the will of the Father. Everybody else who does not do my Father's will, despite them saying my name, despite them doing things in my name, I don't know them. Jesus would later go on to say in Matthew 12, when his own mother and brother, brothers were looking for him, they were trying to find him, trying to bring him back home, got to get that, to get that boy home. This is what he says in Matthew 12, 48 to 50. And he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus doesn't want you to be only found today. He wants you to become family. He wants you to become family. And a heart of repentance today is to live to do the Father's will, to not just profess that there is a changed heart, but to live out that changed heart. So today in closing, I hope you know today how truly loved you are by God. That if you don't walk away with just as much as a deep, profound awareness of our lostness, if you don't walk away with an even greater, profound awareness of how loved you truly are, I missed that greatly. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less than how he loves you right now. Right now, you'll never be loved more. You'll never be loved less. And God will never stop searching for those who are lost. Many in this room are a living testimony to that, aren't we? Some of us took longer than others. But we got there. We're all sinners. All of us. Whether you are lost or you are found today, you're still a sinner. But we are sinners saved by grace. We have been received by Jesus and in return have received him. And so our confession, our profession is like those, the words of that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So, in conclusion, 
Let's cast off the need to always be right. Let's cast off a community that positions ourselves by those who are good and those who are bad, by those who are right and those who are wrong. And let's be a community that positions ourselves and opens up this position to every other according to the category that Jesus sees us as, as lost and found. And when those who come into the community are found, we live as Jesus lives. We love one another despite our differences. We love one another because he first loved us. And to the lost, will we the found, we go searching for the lost that they too may be found. That is the will of the Father. That he might send his son to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. And the spirit of his son Jesus is living in you and living in me. Sending us out to seek and save those who are lost. So what we're going to do today in closing is, you got this card on the way in this morning. And some people were like asking, what is this card for? Well, we're going to do a pop quiz. And so, um, number one, what did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? I'm just kidding. That would be funny, wouldn't it? Like, and you got to head it in and get graded. And then next Sunday, it's like, oh, you know, you got seven out of 10. That would be hilarious. No, we want to do something. Uh, and this is going to lead into what's going to happen next Sunday. And that is, we want to pray or write a prayer for our communities. Because while we're here in Canada, we're not all here in Canada. Some of us in Stittsville, Carleton Place, uh, Nepean, Barhaven. They're just all over the place. And how many of you know in Canada, for example, there's not just one place called Canada. I live in Bridalwood. You know, you live in Canada North, or for example. So what we want to do is each one of us, we represent a community, a specific community. And I don't know the name of your community. You know the name. But what I want you to do right now is we're going to sing a song. I want you to write a prayer for your community. So write the name of your community at the top of the card. For me, it would be Brattlewood. And just spend the next few moments, write, articulate a prayer for the lost in your community. From someone who's found, write a prayer for the lost. Next Sunday, we are going to pray these prayers together. But we want to write these prayers right now. And so today, if you are found, I want you to write a prayer for someone who is lost. If you today are coming and you're like, I'm the lost guy. I'm the lost gal, and I want to be found. I want Jesus. I Jesus receives me. I want to receive him today. If that's you, I want you to do something different. I want you to write a prayer on this card that receives Jesus. Just write, write whatever comes to your heart, but say, you know, Jesus, I want to receive you today. I repent. I was lost, but I'm found. Just write whatever comes to your heart. But if that's you today, if you are in the lost category and you just desiring to be found by Jesus, write a prayer today. And then we're going to ask you to submit it. Just and make it anonymous if you like, or write your name if you like. That doesn't matter. But for those of us today who are Christians, I want you to pray a prayer for the lost, for your community. So let's do this, and then we will close our service. So on your way out, ask that you just give the card to the usher on the way out. All right, God bless. Thank you.